Let's go ahead and uh, let's pray. We'll pray over our, uh, our lesson tonight. Let's just take a few moments. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. We welcome you here tonight, Lord. I ask you to have your way, Lord. I pray you'll touch our hearts and minister to each of us tonight, Lord. Pray for, pray for strength, guidance, and direction tonight, Lord, as you open up your word for understanding. And that you just move in our lives, Lord, as we draw to a deeper, closer relationship with you, Lord. I thank you for what you're doing for each of us today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are on week three for holiness. Um, the last two weeks that the study, the lessons that I was teaching off of, I used the backbones um, from a, a, a lesson set of, I got from Ron Wolford. He is a pastor in Tennessee. He studied under uh, Brother Bernard in Bible college, and he took his lesson from uh, the books that Billy Bernard had written. Um, I'm only stating that because I used that for a lot of my backbone and I just kind of built off of it from there. Um, the next section that I want to talk about tonight for just a few moments, I'm actually taking from Brother Bernard's uh, a little excerpt from his uh, Essentials of Holiness because I just want to talk about this section about legalism. Just to kind of give you a little bit of a different perspective and an idea of of legalism. So we're going to start there. Um, so legalism means strict or excessive conformity to a legal code or set of rules. Okay? Uh, in a Christian context, legalism has two negative condemnations. One, basing salvation on good works or on strict observance to the law. The other is imposing non-biblical rules. Now, the Bible strongly condemns legalism in the sense, in this sense. And if you look through Matthew 23, this entire chapter deals with Jesus' response to the Pharisees' uh, legalistic way of life. So, and we're not going to go through that whole chapter, but that's, that chapter is what he is talking about there with the Pharisees. So he, he is condemning that. Uh, but law is helpful as a line of giving us a minimum standard or a safety net, but ultimately it is, it is insufficient to produce holiness, true holiness. Why? True holiness comes by faith, love, and the Spirit. They are the proper alternatives to legalism, and they actually lead to far more of a self-discipline than a law can. It's about faith, love, and spirit. And if my papers will cooperate there. So, for example, law or fear of getting caught can cause a man to remain physically faithful to his wife and restrain him in a time of temptation. But he may still be very unfaithful in thoughts, attitudes, behaviors, or even flirtations. By contrast, true love for his wife will drive away all contrary thoughts and desires, and in the long run, only love will make that marriage a true success. So, in a similar form, a person who seeks to serve God merely by rules will ultimately fail. You will get tired of the rules. You will deceive yourself. 
that rule doesn't apply to me because of this. You start picking and choosing. You feel like if you're at the, the checkout counter and you want to have it your way. Make sense? So, this person or we will face situations that, because the rule does not specifically address this, so you will make up your own interpretation uh, because he or she will lack the inward principles and the convictions needed to guide you. Sometimes leaders present biblical standards of holiness set as, as a set of rules or regulations justifying them only by tradition or human authority. In rebelling against this legalistic approach, some people discard true holiness principles and valid practical applications. The problem on both sides is a failure to commit quality time and serious prayerful study of the Word of God. I don't know if you noticed, everything I bring back to you is always coming back to God. It's coming back to His Word. It's coming back to your relationship, my relationship with God. Because that is where we're going to find true holiness, is in individually in our relationship with God. Amen? Many wrongly suppose that the proper alternative to legalism is no law. Freedom without responsibility or no moral restraints. True holiness is not freedom to act and look like the world, however, but freedom from the from the need to conform to the world. Genuine spiritual freedom is not freedom to commit sin, but freedom from sin's bondage. There can be no real freedom outside truth. Turn to John uh, 8.32. John 8.32 and the verse says here, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. There can be no real freedom outside of the truth. Amen? Spiritual freedom is not freedom from truth, but freedom to know and to submit to the truth. Here's another example. A man who is ignorant of the law of gravity and therefore walks off a cliff with no concern is not free. Rather, he is free when he understands the dangers of walking off that cliff and has the ability to avoid doing so, thereby preserving his own life and his own liberty. He has understanding. He knows there's a danger. A Christian is free because he or she knows what sin is and they know how deadly it is. And they know that being filled with the Holy Ghost gives them the power to overcome sin. As Christians, we still have commandments to obey. Matthew 28 and 20 says, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. John 14 and 15 says, If ye love me, keep my commandments. John 14 and 23 Jesus answered and said unto them, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him, 
and make our abode with Him. The ceremonial law has been abolished, but we still must not participate in spiritual unclean things. We are backed up with this with the Word of God in 2 Corinthians 6.17. Give you a moment if you want to turn there. 2 Corinthians 6.17. Another very familiar scripture here. 2 Corinthians 6.17. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. A Christian's life is like a contest with spiritual guidelines that we must follow. I like how the New King James Version states this for 2 Timothy and 5. So this is from the New King James Version. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. You've got to follow the rules. You've got to follow the guidelines. Moral law is a restraining force, but the sinful nature needs, to, needs a restraint upon its desires. While the spiritual man needs protection against evil, like a fence around a garden, holiness teachings do not curb our freedom in Christ, but preserve it. I really like that. I'm going to say that part again. Like a fence around a garden, Holiness teachings do not curb our freedom in Christ, but preserve it. Like gravity keeping the earth in orbit around the sun, they bind us closely to our holy God, who is our source of life and our source of strength. And this last little uh, sentence I want to give you from Brother Bernard's section on legalism. Like train tracks or banks of a river, they keep us on course, preserve our identity, and channel our spiritual energy. We have an awesome God. He loves us. He does put down a path for us. He has given us those, those banks just like at the river or just like on a train tracks. He does give us something to follow. We are not just walking completely blind. He is there to lead us. He has provided the Comforter to be with us, the Holy Spirit to not just to be with us, but to live inside of us, making our individual bodies a temple for the Holy Ghost. And He dwells in there, and in that same time, He gives us power, power to overcome, power to live above a sinful world that we live in. But we don't have to be of this world. We have to walk through this world. Amen? That section there was from Brother Bernard's uh, book on holiness, and I just wanted to touch on it. I really like the way that it explained legalism. Um, the next section we're going we're gonna to spend some time on here tonight is the tongue. And if you will, turn to James chapter 3. I've got a few scriptures we're going to go to. James chapter 3. When we get to James chapter 3, we're going to go through verses 1 through 12. So we got a, a few that we're going to go through.
James 3, verses 1 through 12. Verse 1. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For, many, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bites in the horse's mouth, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Verse 4. Behold also the ships, which though they be, they be so great, and are driven by fierce winds, yet they turn about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Verse 6. And the tongue is a fire. A world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the courses of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea, is tamed, and hath been tamed by ma of mankind. Verse 8. But the tongue no man can tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. Verse 10. Out of the same mouth proceeded blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? And verse 12. Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. So I want to look at the significance of the tongue. James 3, uh, verses 1 through 12. One portion that tells us that the tongue is an unruly member. If we go... James 1.26, it says, If any man among you seem to be righteous, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. The tongue is a test of true religion. Has your mouth ever gotten you in trouble? You spoke without thinking. You can tear somebody down with the tongue. You can lift somebody up with the tongue. If you are a child of God, should we be tearing people down with the tongue? Let's look at a few scriptures here. Matthew chapter 12. In fact, I'll give you a moment to turn there because we're going to read a couple of them here. Matthew 12, uh, verses 34 through 37. Matthew 12, 34 through 37. 34 starts. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance 
of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasures bring forth evil things. Verse 36. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. And verse 37. For by the words thou shalt be justified, and by the words thou shalt be condemned. Another scripture in Matthew I want to share. Uh, it's 15, verse 18. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile the man. The tongue reveals the condition of the heart. It reveals what's happening inside. If we speak quickly, maybe without thinking first, maybe the first thing that comes to mind, and we let it loose. What's happening inside? Are we full today? Are we full of the Holy Ghost? Are, are we prayed up? Are we seeking Him first? The tongue reveals the condition of the heart. Psalms 19 and 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Another verse in Psalms uh, 141 verse 3. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Colossians 4 and 6. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. And Titus 2 and 8, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that, he that is of, of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. We must control our speech. We must know what we're going to say. We must think before we choose somebody out. Now, I'm not telling you that there's not a time that someone might need to be, have to be put in their place, but there's a way of doing it. There's a way to come about it. There's a way to handle ourselves. We must, we must, as Christians, as followers of Christ, control our speech. Why? Well, for one, we need to remember love. But also, it can hinder our blessings from God. We're going to look at some scripture here. I'll give you a moment to turn there. We're going to go to Isaiah chapter 59. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. Our tongue, the things we say, it can hinder our blessings from God. So, Isaiah 59, we'll start in verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear you. Verse 3. 
For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue have murdered perversiveness. perversiveness. Verse 4. None calleth for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. Verse 5. They hatch cockatrice eggs and weave the spider's web, that he that eateth of their eggs dieth, and that which is crushed beneath out into a viper. Verse 6. Their webs shall not become garments, neither shall they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and the acts of violence is in their hands. Verse 7. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. And verse 8. The way of peace they know not, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them, them crooked paths. Whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. Wow, that was a lot. So, let's kind of break it down a little bit. Israel found themselves in a place of desiring the blessings of the Lord and not understanding why they had been removed from them. They found them in a place that they are asking, wanting God's blessing, wanting God to move with them, wanting Him to touch them. And they could not understand why they had been removed from them. Isaiah declares that it's not because God's arm had been shortened or his ear was no longer able to hear. Again, God did not change. He was still the same God that was providing for them. But because their iniquity, they have lost the blessings. The remainder of the passage shows us that they were guilty of hatching cockatrice eggs, This hatching of cockatrice eggs refers to sin of the tongue, namely backbiting and gossip. They let it get in their way. They let the gossip, the backbiting, they let it poison them. They let it poison what was going on. It should not have been taking place. God's dealing with Israel is a strong warning to us as how God views the sins of the tongue. He still views the sins of the tongue the same way today. Tailbearing defined gossip as negative meaning of the word. Let's look at some scriptures about that. We're going to start in Psalm 101, verse 5. Whosoever privately slandereth his neighbor, him will I cut off, him that hath a high look and proud heart, Will not I suffer? We'll continue moving forward. Proverbs eleven thirteen, a talebearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. You may learn some things, but you don't have to share some things. Just because you were told something, or someone asked, said, "Hey, listen, I'm struggling with this. I want someone to bond with me in prayer over this." Doesn't mean you need to run out and tell your friends. Oh, do you know what Brother John's having trouble with? Brother Doug, did you know what he told me? That's not what I meant to do. 
I can conceal those things. I can pray with him. I can bind together with him. He came to me as a brother. He came to me as a little bit of help. Same idea. Don't go run and put it on Facebook. Well, I don't want to say names, but so-and-so, a real close friend of mine, is struggling with this. And then you tell everything about him enough so someone else, well, I know who that is. They go to my church. That's not what we're meant to do. Proverbs 17 and 9. He that covereth a transgression seeketh love, but he that uh, repeateth a matter separateth very friends. You will ruin relationships. You will ruin relationships sharing and talking about people. Even if it's true. It doesn't mean it was meant to be shared. And in the church, it doesn't matter if you're on the platform or you're not on the platform. It all comes back to that church. Oh, over there in Calvary, they just talk about each other. I walked in and I knew what everybody was doing before the first song started. And after service, woo, they told me. We're not doing that. I hope and pray. I don't know that we are. But, but you can ruin it. You ruin relationships. You ruin friendships. You ruin the name of the church. Now all of a sudden, oh, that's that church. Oh, you don't want to go there. They just talk about people. Oh, it was a good message. Oh, they got good music. Well, oh, my goodness. That easy to ruin those relationships. Proverbs 26 and 20. Where no wood, where no wood is, the, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no talebearer, the strife ceaseth. It stops. Where no one's talking about it, there's no fire to burn. There's no there's no nothing to share, no gossip to share. No, no little stories to share because it just stops if it's not there to burn. Romans 1, verses 29 and 30. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, disrespectful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. Wow. God doesn't like any of those things. He looks at all of those things as problems. He looks at all of those things as sin. That we can let creep into our lives without even realizing it. All from our tongue. We were just told it's an unruly member. Getting control of it. That, to- that tongue, our mouth, can defile our whole body. Change a whole perspective. You know, a picture says a thousand words also. The media loves to find people in the most awkward, weird poses or expressions, and then they can take the picture and put any headline they want, 
You know, it could be a parent telling their child, now don't do that. Now all of a sudden, they are the most evil person in the world because you have this, this one moment where you're trying to get your child under control. And it wasn't even your words, it was somebody else's. From a picture that was probably innocent. We've all gotten onto our kids. You've probably seen headlines and different things, you know, especially if you're staying in the, in the aisle there. They have all those really fun magazines with all the full truths in them, you know, the Inquirer and all that fun stuff. You just can't help but see them when you're there. But, you know, they always have a picture of somebody with that, that look. They're not saying anything. That person isn't, but the headline's doing it for them. Does that make sense? You see it? Same idea. If I have some visitor come in and all of a sudden I just decide to tell them everything that I think is wrong with the church, they leave here and they take that picture of the church, Calvary Apostolic, and they put that headline that they're sharing with it. Well, you, sh you shared it with me. You know, it's got to be true. You know, why would you just not tell me? You're just probably being friendly. We don't want to do that. I'm not, again, I'm not telling you that anybody's doing that, but we need to be careful with our tongue about what we say, what we do, even if it's a truth, or even if it's out of, out of concern, or even out of, out of caring for somebody. We can do it even with a, a, a pure motive, but accidentally hurt somebody with our tongue, not thinking first. Well, I didn't mean it that way. I was, I was really just joking. Now me, I do like to joke around a lot. My jokes are a lot dry, so a lot of times people don't know I'm joking, so sometimes I have to tell them I'm joking. Or they'll think, what, what was that? You know what I mean? So I do say that. I have to tell I'm just joking. But if I wouldn't do that, they might be thinking, what is wrong with him? He's kind of a jerk. All about our tongue. So let's move forward. Backbiting. Speaking evil means thing, uh, mean things about somebody. Slander. False. Or unverified rumors against somebody. Even truth, again, can be tail-bearing if told to someone who does not need to know. Or is told only to hurt someone's reputation. Kind of was already talking about that a little bit. If you are not part of the problem and you are not part of the solution, then probably you don't need to be involved in it. I'm going to say that one again. That one's for me. If you are not part of the problem and you are not part of the solution, then you probably don't need to be involved. Unless again I've asked you for it. That's different. Just because I've seen it doesn't mean I always have to interject either. Let's look at sowing discord. We're going to return to Proverbs. We're going to go to Proverbs 6. I'll give you a moment to, uh, to turn there. I've got a couple scriptures I want to read there. We're going to look at Proverbs 6. We're going to look at verses 16 through 19. Proverbs 6, I'm going to start with verse 16. 
These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, the hands that shed innocent blood, and a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that swift, feet that be swift in running to mischief, 19, false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. The Lord hates one who sows discord. With the tongue we either unify or we divide. So easily we can do that with our words. You can change somebody's day with your words. If you're not a morning person, you could come in, not even thinking about it. Again, not thinking about it. Hey, good morning. Morning. Maybe someone near a little closer comes in. Hey, brother, leaving is good to see you. And if all that just happened, why don't you get a high? Some people get it. Oh, well, they know each other. They know each other for long. But, but people get offended. Talked about offense. I didn't mean to do it. I just, hey, hey, I want to make sure I acknowledge people and just kind of walking down the line. But there's Brother Levens. Fist bump. Brother Levens, hey, how about that game? Easily. If I can at least give him that, I can at least give someone else, hey, good morning. Something a little bit more that is more than just, hey, barely look at you, you're, you're really in my way. Is what I'm saying. Is what is coming across with my words. The tongue can either unify or divide. We can hurt people. We can do it, and I'm not telling you every time you're always going to get it right, because again, I have to put my foot in my mouth all the time. I have to try to make sure I'm thinking things through before I say something, before I act. And a lot of times I'll come back like, you know what, I hope I didn't offend somebody, and I try to go talk to them. Make sure they know, you know, I wasn't trying to rush past you. I got a kid who just had an accident, you know what I mean? I try to make sure I connect with somebody because I don't want someone to misinterpret because they easily could get offended. Because you know what? One time, yeah. You understand it, he's got the kid. But two or three times, now it's every time he sees me. I don't think he likes me. That's good. We can unify or we can divide. We don't want to do that on the street, and you surely don't want to do that in, in the church with your brothers and sisters. We love each other, we care about each other, we pray for each other. Even if we don't know what it is, we pray for each other, we help each other, we are there for each other. But we do it in church, we need to be that way for other people too. We need to care about people. They're not just a body, that's a soul. Brother Levis preached an awesome message a couple weeks ago, and it really took heart. He talked about a woman that he'd seen when he was delivering papers when he was younger. And it just, that's a soul. That stuck with me all week. People are souls. They matter. That jerk in the grocery store, that's a soul. I know he's just walking and not just on his cell phone and won't get out of your way in the middle of the aisle, but it's a soul. Think about it. 
The tongue we can either unify or divide. Let's move on a little farther. Swearing. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to look at what Jesus says about swearing. Matthew 5. We're going to go to verse 34. Matthew chapter 5, verse 34. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, verse 36. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. And verse 37. But let your communication be yea, yea. Nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. We do not have the power to do so. You don't have the power to swear. You can do it with your tongue, you can do it with your mouth, you can do these things, but you don't actually have the power to do so. Christians should always speak truth. It's hard. It's hard. Sometimes, and I'm not talking that it's hard to say the truth. Sometimes you know when you've done something wrong, you got to come clean. He pulls you over, you know you're going 10 miles over. Don't sit there and mess with him. Just be honest. He might have mercy on you. You got a good record. You might have a good chance. It's the end of the month. Good luck. He's got a quota. He might not even fight you in court, but he's got to get the ticket out there. Um, I've had him tell me that. I mean, come on. (laughs) But we need to tell the truth. We need to tell the truth all the time. If I'm working on a problem, maybe I'm trying to solve it, and the boss comes in and says, so uh, what's going on with this? don't want to tell you I'm not done with it. I actually have a problem. But I tell them the truth. Tell them where it's at. Tell them what I'm dealing with. I'm honest about it. I don't want to lie about it. If I think I've told someone a false or that what I believe was true and it's not true, I go and I make sure I try to tell them the truth. I want to make sure because I want that to be known about me is that you know that Dan Jones is going to tell you the truth. That is very important. Because if anyone knows anything about me, they know I'm a Christian, they know I'm a preacher, they know I'm a family man, I want them to know I'm a truthful man. I'll give it straight even if I don't like it because I know it's it's not going to make you happy. But I want to be truthful. We need to be truthful. We don't want to be liars. We want to be separated. The Lord tells us we need to be separated from the world. The world will tell you whatever you want to hear. If it makes you feel good, gets them out of trouble, sure. We need to always speak the truth. Now with legal oaths, when taking a legal oath, one should not swear. Use the word I affirm instead. You don't have the power to swear. God did not give you the authority to swear. Neither 
shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair black or white. We don't have the power to swear. He has the power. We don't have that power. Let's move forward. Um, let's Taking the Lord's name in vain. Let's go to Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. Yep, Exodus 20, verse 7. Just got the one scripture there. Um, again, another very familiar scripture. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. We are to avoid all vain uses uh, profane, trivial uses of the name or title of God. We should not do that. And I'm not giving examples. Because I'm not going to do it. But we should not. His name, we need to use it. We need to use it in prayer, praise, serious discussion, serious conversation. We should not use his name in vain. Maybe you've done it. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. I've done it. I know people that do it all the time. It bothers me. Oh, it, it, it grinds me. I'm like, don't do that. Don't but we should not do that. We don't want to use any slang when talking about God. This is God. He's the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. We should not take him down to just slang or just to terms that would not be fitting of our King, of our Redeemer, of the Holy One. That is not fitting of him. And we should not put him in that same category. That wouldn't be wrong of us. Let's look at another one here. Filthy communication have some scriptures for you. Um, we'll go to Ephesians 4. We're going to go to Ephesians 4, verse 29. Ephesians 4, verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy, Go the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, evil speakings be put away from you with all malice. And verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. If we look at Colossians 3 and 8, but now, but now ye also put off all things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communications out of your mouth. We should not... 
Not that we shouldn't be heard doing it. We should not have obscene, dirty, vulgar, suggestive language. That doesn't sound like somebody who's following Christ. It should not come from us. That should not come out of this temple that's filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, you know, at work there's a couple guys there, they tell some pretty good jokes, you know. Laughing and participating is gays participating. I know it's awkward for people, but I've been in the room, people will tell jokes, I just, I, I look away. It's maybe a situation I can't just walk out of. A, a meeting, I'll look away. I just, I, I don't want to hear it. I, I want them to know I'm not comfortable with it. I want them to be uncomfortable. I've had, asked, I've had people ask me, well, you didn't think that was funny? I just, I don't get into that. I, I don't really talk that way. That's not me. It can open a door to witness. It can open a door to minister. But it also lets people know the line. That I'm not going there. Don't come to the water cooler on Monday looking for the, the next, you know, the, 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 the dirty joke. Because that's not for me. And I don't think there's this good th such thing as a good dirty joke. But I don't want you coming to hear another one. It's not for me. And I'm not going to meet you there to hear one. Even if I don't plan on even repeating it. If you don't plan on repeating it, then why are you there? Other than if you're in a situation you can't leave from we got to think about those things. They should not come from us. We should not participate in them. Laughing or adding your own. You've got to be careful. Ephesians 5 and 4. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not uh, convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Jesting refers to suggestive jokes. Well, I didn't really say it. But everybody knows, knows what you mean. It's the same thing. We're all adults here. It's hard. There are situations that we cannot get out of. That we're stuck there. You might be on a plane or, or a bus or in a meeting or, or wherever. Or in a lunchroom. Or you just, you, this is my lunchtime. I have to eat. You know, whatever it might be that you can't remove yourself. But don't participate. Don't get involved. Now we talked about, I mentioned swearing, let's talk about cursing. Uh, I have a, a couple of scriptures for you. Romans 12 and 14. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. James 3 and 10. Out of the same mouth proceeded blessings and cursings, my brethren. These things ought not so to be. That was from one of our scriptures that we opened in this section. Pronouncement of a curse upon someone, expressing malice, uh, always taking the evil part, or always wanting something bad for somebody. These things should not come from us. Let's look at rallying. First uh, Corinthians five eleven. Uh, but now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that 
is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or idolater or a railer or a drunkard or extortioner with such and one not no one one no not to eat excuse me that was a tongue twist Look at another one as we are looking about rallying. Second Peter, in fact, let's turn here. I have two scriptures. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 10. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanliness and despise government, presumptuous they are, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Verse 11, whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not rallying accusation against them before the Lord. Abusive, harsh, or language that shows a rude or arrogant lack of respect. This should not come from a Christian. This should not come from a follower of Christ. Blasphemy is rebelling against God. Lying or false witness is very straightforward. All lies and all false witnesses. We should not participate. We should not be a part of lying or false witnesses. Deceit, lying by false actions. We shouldn't try to cover things up. You have the Holy Ghost in you. You have the power to live above. I'm not saying that we're not going to get in trouble. If I was speeding and I get a ticket, then that is my ticket. I need to pay my ticket. I can appeal it. I can talk to them. I can tell them what I was doing that day. I was on my way to work. I was running late. If the, if the officer didn't have mercy, maybe the judge or, or, or whoever's overseeing that day might have mercy on me. They might not. You might get the ticket and you might get the points. But trying to cover it up, shouldn't try to cover up. Oh, my wife's pregnant. What if the judge is being silly that day? Oh yeah, how far along? Were you on your way to the hospital? Now you're adding more lies. What point do you stop to cover it up for a ticket? Well, my ticket, you know, the points, the insurance, I know. Sometimes even Christians make mistakes and we do have to pay the consequences. I'm thankful when mercy's there. It's awesome. It's wonderful. It doesn't always come in. But if we follow the right road and we do the right thing and we submit ourselves to make sure our conversation, that our tongue is under control, we are going to do a whole lot better. Because again, we are just passing by. These years that we're living here are just temporary. There is a greater reward. There's somewhere we want to go. And on Judgment Day, do you want to have to talk about that at the gate? Well, there was the one time, and I don't see you ever repented for it. 
idle words. Matthew 12, 36. But I say unto you that every idle word that man shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. So what would be idle words? Foolish or stupid talk. Ephesians 5 and 4. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving thanks. I did read that one just a short time ago. Calling someone a fool. Jesus said in Matthew 5.22, But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Danger of hell fire. That tells you how serious it is. Jesus said that. And we are almost out of time. I'm going to wrap up here with this about the tongue. Um, this will conclude our section. I want to... Uh, Psalms 141, verse 3. I actually had... Uh, already said this verse set a watch O Lord before my mouth keep the door of my lips the psalmist understood that he could not control his tongue without the help of God we had an, an, a good example in James about the tongue you know you have you have a, a horse that has the bit in the mouth controlling the whole body the great ship it is controlled by such a small thing. Our tongue, compared to our body, is such a small thing. And it has such a great control over our body and who we are. And it can defile us. We must realize the same thing. That we cannot control our tongue without God's help. And we need to pray for this the same as as the psalmist did here. We need to pray that the Lord will keep watch over my tongue. Keep watch over my mouth. Help me. Slow to speak. Slow to those reactions. Slow to say something in those times of frustration. We can live above sin. You and I have the power to live above sin. If nothing else, I want you to realize that whether all four weeks you hear one week, we have the power to live above sin. And in this sinful world we live in, that is not our home, we can live above sin in this present world. All right, I guess we should end there. Our time has ended. Appreciate your time this week, guys.